St. Maka, welcome guys, welcome, brilliant. So here's a quick one for you. Have you heard of the Great Wall of Fleetwood? You've never heard of the Great Wall of Fleetwood? All right, what, what are some of the other great walls that we, we know about? And we, this could be dangerous, couldn't it? So, China. China, the Great Wall of China. We all know about that one, don't we? Huge, uh, built, I think, in a region of about 500 BC. That's when it started. And uh, you can see it from space. It's enormous. Give me another wall. Hadrian's Wall, that's right. Built when the Romans occupied Britain and they were to keep out you lot. The Barbarian North. You know, you should be coming in here with woad. All right, yeah, so Hadrian's Wall was built. Give us another one. Yeah, Chinese restaurant in, in Lewisham. Yeah, right, all right. Come on, another one. The Berlin Wall. Yeah, built at the end of the Second World War. You know, I, I was reading some stuff. Uh, they built that wall, and sometimes uh, parts of it went straight through people's literally back gardens, dividing East and West Germany, bringing division and separation in, 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 that, in that amazing city. Any others? There it is. Donald Trump's wall. Honestly, I've got a, conf- I've got a confession to make. I so wanted to show you a video today. But my wife, my wife has said no. You know what? I mean, if you want, you need to go on YouTube and just punch in Donald Trump's wall. There's this advert, right? There's this advert. And and I'm not making any political statement this morning. I want to just put it out there, okay? But there's this advert for this extraordinary, like, mobile um, camera. and, uh, and, And basically... Donald Trump, an actor, is taking the mickey, and he's standing there in front of the wall, welcoming people and saying, this is my wall, and there's aircraft going over it, and as he's shouting out, and it's an impenetrable wall, you know, we're going to, and, 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 then, and then suddenly, as he's saying, it's an impenetrable wall, no one's ever going to get over it, there, there's this hole, and suddenly mir- mariachis are coming out of it, going, you know, playing. And the next thing, and so suddenly all these people are coming out from under the wall. And he's going, no, it's a huge wall. Like this, like me. You've just got to see it. it, it I can't, it, it, brilliant. It, it's absolutely hilarious. But walls, we have built walls for centuries. All over the world, we find walls, walls that divide, walls that separate. You know, these throughout all of human history, we have built walls. And the walls that we see in the world are actually a reflection of the walls that are in here. They're made of the same material, the same bricks, aren't they? These big walls. These little walls. And so the Great Wall of Fleetwood. There's a man, he put an extension on his house. And uh, he built this lovely, um, what do you call it, on the roof uh, uh, to lie out on. Get some sunshine. See, this just wouldn't work in Aberdeen, by the way. You know what I mean? You'd, you'd, (laughs) You'd go out and you'd be frozen. You know, pretty quickly. Anyway, so he built this extension, lovely, you know, rooftop um, sort of, uh, what do you call it? Terrace. Thank you, terrace, you know. And, and, and there, you know, to do that, he came home one afternoon. I think they'd been away for a couple of days. His neighbor had taken umbrage, built 
a 16-foot breeze block wall to block out the sun. It's here it is. A businessman built a 16-foot high wall at his home in a revenge plan to block out the sun from his neighbor's newly built roof terrace. We are experts at building walls, aren't we? We are experts at it to separate, to bring division. And we build them for all sorts of reasons, and we justify the reasons behind it. But ultimately, those walls out there reflect the walls that are in here. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about walls. Walls that keep people apart. The material of those walls are um, material that embraces suspicion, kills friendship, spreads gossip and prejudice. It may have many forms, but it remains the same. Bricks of hostility, fear, greed self-preservation, don't we? We just live in a world of walls. But the great news, the great news is that God, God in his mercy loves this world. Even though it's full of division, full of hostility, he's a God that loves his, this world of walls. And so he sends the God-man, Jesus, the greatest demolition expert around to tear down walls. Do you know what? That's amazing news. He has broken down, and that's where we're going to be going today in the book of Ephesians. So if you haven't got a Bible, uh, we're going to be opening up the Bible. These amazing, beautiful, and handsome young people are going to be handing out a Bible. If you haven't got a Bible, please pick one up from these guys. We're going to be reading in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to be in and around verse 11 through to 22. And this amazing letter, if you're just joining us, um, Paul is encouraging us to embrace our true identities in God. And Chuck uh, kicked this whole series off, and we've been building on it, and Taryn did an amazing job a couple of weeks ago talking about our identity in Christ. And, and as we come to this part of this uh, particular chapter, um, Paul has been saying to the church in Ephesus, this is who you are as individuals. But there is a, there's a nuance and a shift today where he says, you know, it's not just who you are as an individual, but actually who we are as a people. Because we often individualize our faith and our relationship with God. But where we're going today is this. This relationship affects this. And they're intrinsically connected. And the gospel is a gospel of peace with God, but also with peace with man. Okay, so that's where we're going this morning. And, and, and into the background, let's just, just remind ourselves of, of what is going on. The church in Ephesus that Paul started and planted, and all you need to do is go to Acts chapter 19. There are two predominant groups of people. It's a diverse church. It's a diverse community. Real different kind of backgrounds in the room. Even right now, you know, I'm, I'm chuffed because if you just have a quick look around, we are different. There are different ages, stages. Some people are, well, I might, not get, I might get into trouble now. I mean, some have got hair, some don't. I can th see three of us in this room at least that are struggling here. I always just joke about it. I say, God loves my face so much, he's making room for another. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Isn't that right, Raj? Uh, yeah, there you go. So, 
you know, we're different, aren't we? We're male, we're female, we've got different experiences in life. Hey, in, in, in Ephesus, there were these two predominant groups uh, um, that, that were, were part of the church. A whole bunch of them came from sort of the Jewish stream of life. And Paul, when he went in Acts chapter 19 to preach the gospel, he went to the synagogue. And a bunch of those guys from the narrative of the Jewish faith, they came to faith in Jesus. They accepted Jesus as the Messiah, the one that had been promised all the way through the Old Testament. They were like, yeah, that's the guy. He's the one. And so a whole bunch of Jews had embraced Jesus as Savior. And then there was another group of people, and they were just called the Gentiles. And basically was anyone who didn't have a, a Jewish heritage. Guess what? That's us. A group of people who never had, perhaps, the background or the understanding that there was a God in the universe that loved and cared for them. But there was a hunger in their lives, seeking and wanting and knowing that there is more to life than just existence. And so they would pursue, like many of us, loads of other stuff to fill the voids in our lives. And so they would worship other idols, but there was a hunger in them to connect with, with the divine. And so Paul goes to them and he says, hey, let me introduce you to a Jesus, to the God-man who comes to, into, this, into your world, into my world, and brings life to you. And so you've got these two groups of people are suddenly part of making up this community. And so that's the background. And the reality is this. These Jews and these Gentiles who have come to know Jesus in extraordinary power. It talks about how Paul preached the gospel, introduced them to Jesus, and demonstrated the power of God in his presence with signs and wonders. So both groups are like, this is for real. And into that sort of um, prevailing culture, these two groups outside of the church, and maybe partly in the church, there was real animosity. They never mixed. There was segregation and racism between these two groups of people. Historical religious animosity. And so here's a group of people trying to work out what does it mean to follow Jesus in a society, in a culture where there is deep, deep division. So that's the backdrop. And so in Ephesians 2.11, this is what we're going to, we're just going to talk a little bit about this. Let me read the first little, it's in three parts today. Let's hopefully we get to number three. We'll see. I hope we do because it's really good. Anyway, therefore remember that, speaking to the Gentiles, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth are called uncircumcised by those who call call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at the time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant and to the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I don't know about you, but it is so easy to forget things and to lose perspective. I I, I was in the kitchen the other day, and I knew I had to get something from upstairs. By the time I got upstairs, I'd forgotten why I'd come upstairs. Maybe, I I know I've just had a birthday, and I know I'm getting older. 
And I know that lots of you know I have a thing about getting older. But I think, wow, my memory is going. We easily forget the importance of things in life. And the importance of some of the things that we've been singing about this morning. Those songs about the cross and what God has done for us. Paul, is, he actually is commanding this community, this diverse community, to remember. To remember what Jesus has done. To remember the deep forgiveness, the incredible joy that you receive that first moment of realizing your sins are forgiven and being washed and you're being brought into a new kingdom and have it given a new life. And the language he's using there is, guys, it's, we need to remember what it was like before peace. We have received peace. You, let's remember. Let's, let's look at the world through lenses that remember, oh, what was it like when we did not know him? We were separated, it says there. Our behavior, our sin, our attitude had put us in a corner. It pushed God away. It, we were distanced from him. Do you remember? Paul's saying, do you remember what it was like, guys? The lostness, the hopelessness, the darkness, the running in circles, filling our lives full of stuff, the meaninglessness of it all. Do you remember those days? I can look around the room and I know that some of you pretty well. We remember those days. Those moments of feeling separated. And now we're joined to a God who loves us. You know, in 1984, some of you guys know my background. My mom and dad were missionaries in India. And I remember in 1984, and this gives away my age, I was 11 years old. In 1984, Mrs. Indra Gandhi, the Prime Minister of India, was assassinated. And at that time, my, my dad, and I have a great relationship with dad. I love him to bits. I was going to show you another photograph because we were around uh, during the October holidays. We went out for dinner together. And my goodness, I really am looking like him. It's like scary. I mean, pff, you know where you're going, don't you? You know, <laughs> I'm fighting it. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> I, I love dad. And, and, and anyway, he had taken a whole bunch of students down onto the plains of India to do a tour. You know, do the Taj and, 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 and Varanasi and visiting all these holy sites. And, and, all. and anyway, so suddenly Indra Gandhi was assassinated. The entire nation of India went up in uproar. People were killing one another. There was martial law. The army came out onto the streets. Communication lines were cut. We had no clue what was going on. I was 11. It must have been agony for my mom. I felt, I, right now, I can feel separation anxiety from that moment. I thought, that's it. He could be gone. For three weeks, we, never knew, we did not know where they were and what had happened. That was a horrible feeling of loss. You know, that separateness. Three weeks in, we heard they managed to make some communication, sort of reconnect. No internet back then, by the way. You know, young people are like, why didn't did you just WhatsApp in? <laughs> you know, <laughs> smoke signals, carrier pigeons, you know. And we, and we heard that they were okay. 
And I remember a week later thinking, oh, good, that's good, they're okay. And we were out in the quadrangle. We were playing this game called Foursquare, which we did. And it was brilliant. And, we were, and suddenly out of the corner of my eye, I saw a jeep pull up into the school. And I saw the door open, and I recognized my dad getting out. Let me tell you, the game meant nothing. I just took off across the quadrangle. I'd been missing my dad for a, mu- a month. And as I ran towards him, 11 years old, I did not see a step. The, 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 the quadrangle was sort of built, and, and it had a little ledge on it, and just where the jeep was. And I didn't see the step because I was so slow because dad has come home. And I clipped it, and the whole world went into slow motion. 11 years old. <laughs> you can imagine. Dad saw, and he just, he moved fast, and he, I, I remember him just gathering me up, like into his arms, and pulled me into himself. Wow, let me tell you, that was extraordinary. Dad was back. Separation was over. At 17, I experienced the exact same embrace, not from my earthly father, but from my heavenly father. Paul wants the church to remember, hey, when it comes to peace and unity in the world and in life, let's remember how precious this relationship we have with God is. Let it inform us and everything about what we do. Because then, uh, you know, as we move into uh, verse 14, we realize that that, that the peace that we found this way starts to find its way out this way. In fact, actually, I want to say, I'm not sure if we can ever have peace with the world and with people unless we have proper peace with God. They're intrinsically kind of the, 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 the the same thing. There's on one side of the coin, there is peace with God, and the other flip side is there is now the potential to engage and have peace with other people around us. And I think this is where Paul's going. Are you ready? He says this in verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility he's not just now he is talking about this but there's another one that's about to come by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we now both have access to the Father by one spirit. I remember thinking at 17, I was out. And in that moment of, of, of experiencing Jesus' love and forgiveness, I, it felt like I suddenly realized, I'm now in. I'm in something. And life began to crystallize and clarify, and I had purpose. I don't know where some of you are at today. I know a lot of you in here, but I'm sure that some of you are in that place where you're like, you're searching and you're hungry. Listen, Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life. And he's moved heaven and earth to, to, to reach out to you and bring you into a new, a, new, a new moment. Verse 14, he is our peace who has made two people groups now one 
He is our, not just mine, but ours. Our peace. You know, I've been thinking about this. You see, if we've got God up here, yeah? And now we are down here. And suddenly we have a connection with God. We have now, through Jesus, we have got peace with Him. And that's my story. But it's also, it's also Roy's story. And Jim's story. And India's story. And Chuck's story, isn't it? We've got not just my individual story. We've got loads, hundreds, thousands of people. And probably 120 of us in this room today with individual stories. That you have been, you are now at peace with God. Here's the crazy thing. If we're all at peace with God and we're pursuing Him, what starts to happen here? The distance. Can you see it? The distance is closing. The more we love, the more we engage, the more that we experience the love of God, the reality of the gospel is I am going to come closer to you. We are going to grow closer together. There is a, what does he say? A oneness. When I am one with God, I become one with others. Yeah? Paul is saying the Christian faith is not an individual, just an individual deal. It's a corporate moment. God is wanting to connect people together, even those who are incredibly different. Even those who have had deep animosity, enmity. And so he says that, doesn't he? Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. I think when Paul was writing this to those groups of people, He was talking about a real wall. He was talking about a wall in Jerusalem. He is using that language deliberately because for those of you who are familiar with the New Testament and and, 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 and sort of Jewish worship, where did they go? They worshipped in a temple in Jerusalem, didn't they? And the temple was broken down into a number of courts. And they had the outside courts. And then they had the Gentile courts. And then they had the inner courts where the Israelites and the true Jews could go and worship God. And then right in the sort of concentric, in the very center was the Holy of Holies where a priest went there once a year. And it was all walled. It was all walled. But the incredible thing was this. It says, in the Gentile court... There was a plaque that said, if you cross over into the inner court, you do it on pain of death. That's a hostile wall. The Gentiles had a restricted worship experience. Paul's saying, in Jesus, this wall has been broken down. He uses language, doesn't he, there? in one body to reconcile both of them to God through what? The cross. Through a death. You see, if we really want peace, then there's a price. If we want peace, something has to die. Peace and hostility cannot be in the same space in that sense. 
in our own lives and hearts. We know that, don't we? Because let's be honest, I mean, me and Victoria never argue. Just want you to know that. You just imagine that we might occasionally. Invariably, if there is something between us, the reality is I'm probably wrong. Something in me has to die to bring peace. Do you see what I mean? There's a principle at work here that Paul is tying into. He says if we really want peace, somewhere something has to die. What Paul is saying here is that person has done it. Jesus has died. The cross absorbs all of the hostility between people. Because the cross is the greatest leveler. When we come to him as individuals in repentance, we're all suddenly equal. Whatever background we're from, we're suddenly in it together in the same boat. And where we're being forgiven so we can forgive others. This is what Paul is getting at. As I was reflecting on this, I was thinking about the time. So when Jesus died on the cross and he shouts, it is finished, what happens? Right in the Holy of Holies, there's a curtain. For those of us that know the story, the curtain suddenly is torn in two. Is that because that is a sign that now we all get to enter into a Holy of Holies? Some of us are nodding. I think it does. What I think is even more radical is this. The temple curtain was suddenly torn in two, not so that we can enter into something, but actually so the Holy Spirit and his presence could come out. You see, in the moment of Jesus' death, he is making something radically new. He's saying, I am no longer now the God of just one little nation, but forgiveness and eternity now is for all people groups. And I'm going to make a new people. And my spirit that's been here contained is going to now come and dwell in that new people. It's extraordinary. Jesus is saying, I've broken down the walls of hostility. I've been reading this book. Um, It's a bit of a joke in our house at the moment. I've fallen in love with a guy called Bob. That's a quote, isn't it? (laughs) Some of you are like, whoa. No, no, you've got to understand something. This guy's name is Bob Goff. He's a lawyer in the States. He loves Jesus. And what I love about Bob is that he is on a journey of seeing people reconciled. He loves the Lord, and he wants to see justice in the world, but he also wants to see reconciliation. And just a brief story about how he ends up in Uganda, of all places, being a lawyer, and he's helping with their judicial system. And he finds out, this is almost 20 years ago, that there was a practice in Uganda where children were kidnapped. Horrific. And things were done to children, and body parts were then put under the foundations of new builds as they sacrificed to be a blessing to this new build house or this new build, you know, um, skyscraper. Horrible. Nobody had ever prosecuted the witch doctors behind it. And Bob said, this has got to stop. And so working with the judicial system, they found a a young boy who had survived one of these moments. And they found a judge who was courageous enough to stand up and say, we're going to prosecute. And they went after a particular man. And Bob just describes it as he's the most evil man he'd ever met. And they prosecuted him and they sent him to prison for life. 
justice was being served. But in all of that, Bob was really disturbed by it all. He, he said, I felt like God saying to me, I need to go and visit this man in prison. And so he goes. And this man comes out. And as he stood before Bob, this man falls on his knees and cries out for forgiveness. They'd begin this journey together where they would visit. And, and through that and through other people engaging and the church embracing this man, this man becomes a Christian, gives his life to Jesus and experiences peace with God. You see, the walls of hostility are being broken down. In our heads, we think, how can that happen in that, you know, to that level? Jesus' mercy reaches out and brings this man in. Listen, if God can do that in that situation, when I think about my own life, think about us, think about the people that we may not be at peace with right now, Jesus is the answer. He is. But here's the deal. We need not self-examination because we all justify our own stuff. We need a Holy Spirit examination. Why am I not at peace with you today, Lord? It's probably because we're not at peace with somebody else. Jesus is saying, I've broken down. I've made a way. Just come to me and then go and do what I'm asking you to do. And then finally this. And, and it is uh, extraordinary that God wants to use us not that just so that we can have peace with him, but so that we become a people of peace in this world. And then Paul, in verse 19, this is where we're going to land real quickly. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You know, the, the language, let's just look at the language that Paul is using there. He's kind of given us two images, isn't he? He's using language of household and family. You who were foreigners and strangers, you now have a place of belonging. This is your place. You now have a family. Those that were estranged are now brothers and sisters. He's using language like this. We're to be now, he's saying, a people of peace, a family of peace. A family that have received peace and exude peace in this world. And if we're br brutally honest, and when we look at history, sadly over the millennia, the church has not always done that. In fact, actually, it must grieve Jesus' heart that actually the church has sanctioned wars and, and, and conflicts and actually has done the absolute reverse of including the long, you know, instead of including, they've excluded people who are different. It must be so painful and brings the cross of Christ into disrepute. And yet also, there has been moments throughout history where the church has risen. You know, we're not the finished article, is it? He says he's building something. He's building this family. But there have been moments and times where the church has risen and actually has been a household of peace for the nations in extraordinary ways. I was just reading a little story about the Ceausescu regime in Romania. 
and how this, this young pastor and his wife had been called to a particular town in Romania to preach the gospel and, had, and suddenly people were becoming Christians all over the place. I think the church grew to about four and a half, four and a half thousand people. Well, in a communist country, that was a problem. And so the Ceausescu regime sent the police in to stop this thing, what was happening. It talks about how the church got wind of it. And the congregation not only packed the church, but actually spilled out into the, and surrounded the, church, the, the building. But not only that, and it wasn't just their congregation. Churches in the whole region had heard, and they started coming together in solidarity. The Catholics came, and the, 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 the sort of plurethora of, of, of Protestant churches all came, and they stood in solidarity to not allow the police into the building to uh, take these, this, these pastors. They stood and said, no, we're, we're a people of peace. And they stood. And they stood all night. And they started lighting candles, you know, and had a vigil and all the rest of it. And in the end, the troops came in. And they began to shoot people. And people were killed. And people were maimed. People were beaten up. And the troops broke through. They burst open the doors. They went in and they dragged the pastor and his wife out of the church and into the, the, the square. And they were hauled away. You think that's the end of the story, but it wasn't. What had been about Christian unity and peace and solidarity had lit the fuse for national freedom. And the story uh, uh, goes on where suddenly thousands and thousands of people all across Romania were coming, pouring out of their houses into the streets, demanding the, 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 the tearing down of hostility of the Ceausescu regime. The church had played its part in being a people of peace that had then brought political freedom to an entire nation. What an extraordinary um, image Paul is saying. Paul, we are a people of peace that can bring peace to this world. And then he says, and then he shifts it slightly, and he starts to talk about a building. He says, you're not the finished article, we're not the finished family, but in God, we're, and through his spirit, and on the um, foundation of the apostles and prophets, you're going to be built into a temple. Now we know again, the temple is where? The place where God dwells, using that imagery. And so Paul is saying, you're being built into a dwelling place where my presence will come and be. Wow. The Holy Spirit comes and fills this unique, radical people of peace. Hey, church, we want more of the Holy Spirit, don't we? We want the power manifest amongst us. We want to see that in our workplaces. It's going to happen through you and me. Here's the deal. Are you at peace? Are you at peace with God and are you at peace with your brother? Or even are you, are you working towards peace with those who are against you? Are your hands open? Because there it says, if a people of peace are operating like that, the Spirit of God will come and dwell. I want peace. I want short accounts in my heart. Lord, am I at peace with you? Where am I at fault? Lord, bring grace. Oh, I receive it now. Am I in any way hostile towards anybody else? Have I not forgiven somebody today who I know I need to? Forgive my sins as I forgive those who have sinned against me. You see it? We want the power, but it comes from a place of peace. So today, as I wrap up, 
I believe that God is sending us as a people of peace into the world. You can be a shaft of hope and light. Just thinking about the Chilean miners that you talked about the other day. Can you imagine being locked down in that cavern and then suddenly a drill bit breaking through? The hope must have been extraordinary. You and me, God wants to use to penetrate even the hardest of hearts to bring hope. That's amazing. A household of peace. A temple of his spirit that points to a God who brings peace to our lives. Shall we pray? Why don't we stand? You want to invite the band up?